Hello and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Socks. I'm Lori Socks. And I'm Sophia Socks. Today we are revisited by Jake Pratt's sister, Amy Hyde. If you remember from a past episode, we interviewed Jake and his mom and Amy and talked about Jake's life in high school football and on to Clemson life and also his full-time job at UPS. Today, we've invited Amy back to have a discussion with us and Sophia to discuss the common ground of some of the challenges as well as gifts of having a sibling with Down syndrome. So welcome, Miss Amy Hyde. Amy, welcome back to the podcast. So great having you here. Hi, how are you guys doing? We're so glad you could join us again. I I loved talking to you and your mom and your brother. And what I think is really important, and it's a really important part of this whole journey, is the sibling point of view. Because one of the things, you know, when we get, like your mom had spoke about the diagnosis, when we get that diagnosis, and, you know, I always have hope that that is changing, but for the most part, you know, one of the top three reasons are the effect it's going to have on your family and your siblings. And one of the things I see most on the message boards is someone asking, how is this going to affect my other children? What will this be? I'm getting grief because, you know, my mother-in-law is saying, think what it's going to do to, you, you know, your other kids or you're not. And so that's the real thing that people fear. And as a mom, you know, as a mom, there's so much guilt and pressure being a mom in the first place that, you know, that's, that's just one of the point. that's one of the angles that are really come across strong to, I think, influence mothers and become a part of the foundation of the whole journey. What a whole, terrible way to start. If you it's think a terrible this is a start. burden to bring into your family, you know, it's a terrible start. And what's been great for Sophia is she's, she's had 11 years with Liam And we just had an episode with Sophia where we spoke to her and just, I think we've all come to the realization that that extra chromosome really doesn't change this life's experience as much as we're told at the onset. Every life has challenges. Every life has difficulties and things we learn and rise above and we have health and every single life has that. But for some reason, when we are introduced to our new child, it comes with the weight that it's going to be so much more. And one of the things that we discussed the other day was from the outside, the effect of the extra chromosome has so much more weight than in reality it actually does. So We wanted to invite you here to join in on a conversation with Sophia and discuss what in reality that journey of having a sibling with Down syndrome is. Yeah. I mean, I I completely agree with you on that. I think that if anything, Jake having Down syndrome has been more of a positive thing in our lives. It's, It's enriched our lives in ways that I never could have imagined or expected. Um, I think I told you before that I had little to no knowledge of anything about Down syndrome beyond the aspect of what causes it, but beyond the genetics of it. You know, that's about the only thing I would have been able to tell you at the time. If you had asked me what Down syndrome is, I could have told you what's well, an extra 21st chromosome. But I mean, beyond that, I didn't, didn't know a lot. I really don't even know that I knew anyone in school or anything that had Down syndrome. Um, The area we grew up in, the the school that we attended, was bordering on what I would call a rural community. So just there was not a whole lot of inclusion at that time. You know, there were students that I guess in my mind that I knew had special needs, but I didn't have a lot of interaction with them. Um, I think there was a boy that rode my bus that was like in the self-contained classroom. And like now reflecting back, I think he probably had like pretty profound autism diagnosis if I had to guess, but that was kind of 
the extent of, of my knowledge about anything regarding anybody in the special needs community. And so I, we, did, we just didn't have a lot of preconceived knowledge. Our situation was a little unique because I'm a good bit older than Jake, but I definitely remember just sort of the shock and surprise of the diagnosis because we didn't find out until, as you guys learned in the podcast, until after Jake's birth that he had Down syndrome. So while at the time it probably seemed like a bad thing, not being prepared and, and not being able to like research this and find out stuff, I think it actually turned out to be a good thing. I know that may sound kind of crazy because we didn't have some of those preconceived notions. And even though mom did get hit with those negative comments she got specifically from um, a certain doctor when my brother was born, the rest of the family didn't really get to hear a lot of that. You know, and, and back then, I'll be honest, like there wasn't a lot of like internet research going on at that time either. I mean, that was pretty early in this whole technology information age. So, you know, most of what we learned about Down syndrome ended up coming directly from our experiences with Jake. And once my mom and dad did kind of open themselves up to the Down syndrome community and to other parents and other children with Down syndrome, that's kind of where our experiences came from. And I feel like that ended up being a positive thing. Um, because we didn't have the time to form all these, you know, negative preconceived notions. I'm a research person. So it's hard for me to say that because, you know, I, I tend to say, oh, make sure you research things. But that can almost be, you know, a negative in these situations if you're not looking at the right sources. Because like you said, it's almost like all this negative propaganda that's out there that that's not really the reality of it. What a gift that your mom got to enjoy her pregnancy, because that's one of the things that I just, I dislike the most is the diagnosis comes, but, and it's not always the, actually, I've never heard it delivered in a, in a nice way, but it, the intent isn't, this is how you can be prepared. The intent is with negative connotations. And I'm always so bothered at the effect that has on the pregnant mother. Like it's just so wrong. Because many times just the diagnosis alone the, it, it's presented and then the question's asked, do you want to continue? So, yeah. so in your mind, it's completely it's negative. Just so it's, wrong. Very, it's maybe one of the most negative things you could hear. And in some other countries, it's not even a question, do you want to continue? It's, you know, you can't continue, correct? You know, it's, it's, it's to that extent. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just sad that, um, that women and families have to feel that, that pressure, you know, when the truth of the matter is, you, you look at, I hate the term quality of life. Quality of life is in the eye of the beholder. Um, and, you know, I think that's an individual choice that people have to make what they view as quality of life. But um, you look at, at Jake and you look at all the things he's accomplished and you look at, um, you know, if you ask Jake how he feels about his life, he's going to tell you that he loves his life, that he's happy, that, I mean, um, you know, does he have emotions? Does he get sad sometimes? Does he get mad sometimes? Yes. But overall, Jake, loves his life. And I don't know a single person that has met Jake that has not had their life enriched because of him. You know, when you think about that and you think about the terms of someone that's having a typical or a normal pregnancy, um, there are inherent risks with any pregnancy, with any child. Um, You know, you look at my youngest, I had two full-term pregnancies no issues with my older two. And then I, my water breaks at 22 weeks and I end up having my youngest son at, at 26 weeks and he's doing amazing. He's, he's great, but you know, he had all kinds of risks associated with being born a micro preemie. And so there, there are risks that go along with anything. And I just feel like I'm not trying to vilify doctors in any way, but I feel like these doctors specifically have to stop making these assumptions and and putting this this pressure on families of making them feel like this is what they need to do this is what they should do um so so that makes me sad too I hate to hear those stories I hate to hear that that families feel like they were pressured a certain way when that should be something that they should be able to research and draw their own conclusions and see you know all sides of issues without feeling that undue pressure and who defines quality of life, right? Who's who has the right to define that? Because it just it it that I think is a personal journey. It is right. What you what you choose to create as your life that's 
that's each individual's personal journey. So, but yeah, I think what a, what a great comment on inclusion, you know, just in hindsight that anybody who had a difference or a learning difference was put into the, to the other room. That's really what we're, we're trying to, we're trying to change. Well, I think we all want to see a change. We see, we're seeing a change, but you know, it never happens fast enough. That's kind of. Well, I think everything in your story that we heard did point to definitely Jake's path being a higher inclusion, uh, having a higher inclusion. I just really look forward to the time when those conversations we don't have to have where it's it's such a, a big deal or there's any any kind of there's any thought process that we shouldn't all just be together. And, and I, I understand that for safety, some some students are need that aspect. But I, I think we're all as as a society, we're all better when we're together, because we learn from each other. And just the equality and equanimity. That's just something that I look forward to being just a given and not something that when it happens, it's this special thing because it, it, sh- it should just be how it is. But I want to switch gears over to your conversation with Sophia, because I know as far as a sibling, she has experiences that I don't have. She has feelings and emotions because she does have that relationship with her brother that is, you know, a peer. But I know we discussed a another little quality that exists as far as the protectiveness. And since you've been through it, I thought that Sophia could benefit from your experience. Yeah, I get really protective of Liam if like and anytime I, I get very protective of him so um I want to know like how, how you dealt with that whenever you felt like overprotective and you kind of like didn't get angry but like you said or did you get ang- I think anger yeah. I think anger is and I know you were a little bit older than Sophia is now but just that the anger that you might feel when you see you know someone being unkind to your brother is that what you're getting yeah you can ask that question Sophia this is where this is where we have to be honest because I know that there are people that uh, that feel those feelings and they feel the same way about feeling those feelings so it's nice to just have that discussion of how do we feel and how do we make our way through those feelings so I have definitely had times where I've gotten very angry over the treatment of Jake there are still times that I get very angry. You know, a lot of my anger that has happened more recently has stemmed from, you know, social media. And like I said, most of those interactions are usually a positive thing, but there have been those negative comments and those rude comments and those just uninformed, uneducated comments. So I guess I'll kind of take this two ways. First, when I was younger and Jake was younger, um, I probably wasn't as good at controlling my response as I am now that I've gotten older. And sometimes I would lash out or I would be rude back or I would attack that person. And like, how dare you say that to my brother or how dare you treat my brother like that? And as I've gotten older, I've realized that if I can come at things from more of a balanced, informative stance, I can get a lot further with people. Anytime that you make something feel like a conflict, people are automatically going to shut down on you. So even though I still get angry and even though I still feel my temper sort of flare up sometimes, sometimes I just have to stop and take a breath and think about how to approach the situation. And sometimes it leads to a constructive conversation with someone and that person comes away and they've learned something. And I actually feel like I've made an impact on them in the future and like, okay, now they're not going to say a comment like that again, or now they're not going to ask that question in that way again. And then sometimes I realize pretty quickly that the person just wants to be combative and there's nothing I can say that's going to help the situation. And that's the situation where sometimes I feel like you just have to have to walk away, like as hard as that is. But I feel like that's such a small minority of people. I feel like most people, when they say things or act a certain way, the most of the time, it's not coming from them trying to be mean. It really is just coming, for lack of a better word, from a position of ignorance, from a position of them not being educated. And so those are the kind of people that you can have conversations with. I would say that most of my negative interactions with Jake, especially when he was younger, came from like the use of the R word, you know, in reference to him. I don't like anybody using that word around me in any way, shape or form, 
even when they're not using it as a derogatory term towards someone, I still just don't like use the word. And so when I have a student even, or I've even had a coworker use that word in front of me, or even a relative that's, you know, use that word, I just stop and say, Hey, we don't really use that word. And let me kind of explain why we don't use that word. And this is kind of why we don't like that word. And I just kind of have a real conversation with them. And most of the time that ends up being a very, very positive thing. And my students, like I have that conversation with them really early on and they will correct other students. Like if another student calls someone that or says that they'll say, Hey, you need to stop that. Remember, don't you remember how Miss Hyde told us that's disrespectful and like why that's disrespectful and they'll stop and say, Oh yeah, you're right. I'm sorry, Miss Hyde. And so I feel like we just get a lot further with educating people and changing things if we come at it from a constructive standpoint instead of from that anger that like I know that we all feel sometimes when somebody says something hurtful about somebody that we love. How did you learn to kind of shift that anger into like being constructive and not just yelling at the person? A A lot of practice and probably some getting older and maturing, but I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. There were, um, there have been a couple of times definitely where there was like more of a confrontational thing where somebody upset me about something they said to Jake or about Jake while Jake was standing there as if he's not standing right there and can't hear them. And I've had times where I've sort of snapped at people, but like I said, I think it was more of me seeing that that never was productive after seeing how I reacted in these situations and reflecting on it later and just seeing that wasn't productive, that accomplished nothing. Like maybe I felt a little bit better, but did I change that person going forward? Did I do anything to shift their perspective? No, they're going to still keep having the same thoughts they have and they're going to still keep saying these kind of comments. And so I guess I just kind of realized that educating people is more important than quenching that sort of immediate need for saying something back or hurting their feelings, you know, that, that, that just doesn't, that doesn't help anything, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you, you take that um, moment to respond. What do you do in that moment to deal with your anger when you're angry? Well, I'm a crier. So sometimes I cry. (laughs) Sometimes I might have been guilty of punching a pillow or two in the past, (laughs) but I mean, I feel like just, just sort of taking that time to decompress and to let you feel your feelings and to be upset and it is okay. You know, um, you just want to be careful how you're, how you're directing that. So I mean, I think that's kind of depends on person to person, like whatever helps you to sort of decompress the best and deal with your, your feelings and your emotions. But I think it's important to try to control those conversations so that they're not happening from an emotional perspective. Um, because I think that's where you get in trouble. You know, when you're, you're passionate about something, it's easy for that passion to turn to anger. And so you just have to sort of learn that control and that balance in, in being passionate and not letting it be an argumentative slash angry conversation. One of the things that I'm dealing with is that I'm going to high school and I won't be able to be there for Liam and not always be there to protect him especially going from the virtual setting to the in-person setting. How did you deal when you were far away from your brother and couldn't really protect him? I think the most important thing there is to develop that support system that he is going to have. So, I mean, I don't know if there are any other like students in his class or or maybe even a little bit above him that are below you, but above him that you have friendships with, that you trust, that you can sort of recruit to be sort of part of your support system. Um, you know, I, I just think that that's important to have those people around that, you know, are watching out. And I hate for it to be that way. Cause I, I, I want it to be to a point where everybody's like that, you know, where, where this is like a personal accountability thing, but in the reality being what it is, knowing that he's going to face some of those challenges, I think it would be great if he could sort of have like a mentor that is there that helps him when you can't be. So, I mean, I think the more people you can have sort of in your circle, in your corner that are fighting for him and that, you know, love him and are willing to be there and support him, I think the better. I think one thing that helps, and I think this is for all of us, is that sometimes because we're so involved in this community, at least for me, I get sensitive, very sensitive to things. I was just listening to someone else's podcast about the R word. And in the description of the R word, 
they said the R word maybe 50 times from a good place, I guess, because they're just discussing the word. But every time they'd say it, even just as an example, it like ate at me, right? We haven't said it in the, on this podcast and I won't. I'll just say the R word. But there's a balance there where where am I too sensitive? Where am I not allowing Liam maybe to be totally included in things? There was a situation where he was with some, some kids and things were going great, but there were some negative things too that I, I felt. But in retrospect, a lot of it was negative, but there were those little parts that he was just kind of getting the treatment that every kid would get, like teasing or in, in more of an innocent way. And I, I wasn't sure where I was supposed to be in that. You know, I became so sensitive to, to I wanted it all to go right. And I want him to be treated equally. But some of that equality is also boys, the way they talk to each other or kids kind of like eh, messing around or tackling or wrestling. And I, I wonder where our sensitivity level lies. So I think that's something for me is to be there, obviously, to alert, you know, when something's not right and to stand up. But um, to maybe not jump on people that you later find out like are totally ignorant of something that they weren't meaning anything from it. But I would have att- I would have just jumped on that, too. So uh, there's a point there. Well, I think because you, you because I was at the pool and <laughs> at the same time and I did step in because I see the behavior and it's something I have no tolerance for. And I did correct this individual in an informative way. Uh, but I also let them know that if you're not kind, we don't play with people who aren't kind. And I'm sorry, because if you're not kind, you're making a choice to not be kind. And I don't have to tolerate that. I really don't. And I think as a society, the people who are unkind, the kind people have such compassion and empathy that we do make a lot of allowances, but that allows a lot of really horrible behavior to exist. And I think the kindest thing I can do for someone is to educate them and then step away and let them make a new choice. It just gave me a flashback to, I remember Jake was playing basketball. Gosh, he was young. I mean, he was in elementary school for sure. And one of the boys on the team would not pass the ball to Jake ever. And it was, it was noticeable, you know, to the point where like the other boys would, and the other boys on the team were, you know, very helpful to Jake. And Jake's always been very athletic, honestly. I mean, he could outplay some of his typical peers, but, um, you know, this boy just would not pass the ball to Jake. Like even if Jake was open, he would never pass the ball to Jake. And I remember just like looking at my mom and saying, if that kid does not pass that ball to Jake, I'm going to go there and snatch him off that basketball court. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I know that that's not the right way to approach things, obviously, but I just remember being so angry. And it's just like you said, it's, it's hard to judge that am I being too sensitive? Am I reading too much into this? Maybe he didn't see Jake was open. Okay, well, it just happened again, you know, and kind of knowing where to draw that line and, and when to say something and when to not, because you want to be an advocate, but at the same time, you don't want to be overbearing. You don't, you know, the, the thing you're looking for is equality. Like you said, you're not looking for special privileges. You know, I just want if Jake's your teammate and he's open, you pass the ball to him just like you would any of your other teammates. I'm not saying pass the ball to Jake when he's covered up just because he's Jake and just because he has Down syndrome. Nobody's saying that, but like treat him the same that you would treat anybody else on the team. So it, it's just hard, like you said, to know where are the times that I should should interject and where's the times that I should try to let Jake handle this, you know? And, and Jake's pretty good about about taking up for himself. Jake's pretty good about knowing sort of when somebody's crossing that boundary and like when it's time for him to take up for himself. And I think that's something he's learned as he's gotten older, but I I struggle with that as well. (laughs) That was part of our conversation is on the outside, seeing it based upon what is Liam really, what is Liam experiencing? Is it just bother us because we're seeing this, but is that really what, Liam's experiences and then cultivating if that is Liam's experience and if he came and said hey that kid just wouldn't pass me the ball or was being mean to be able to then you know support him and finding ways to self-advocate you know and I, I know Sophia wants to talk about that that frustration that when when you're on the outside seeing it yeah I think I definitely discount Liam's ability to advocate for himself because he definitely does have the ability to be like, hey, knock it off, you're being mean, or stop that, or honestly, just like, 
get out of the situation and be like, I'm not playing with them anymore, which may be the best decision to make. But I often make the mistake of being like, well, he's not saying anything and it's bothering me. I think it's most probably it's it's bothering me when he may be like, okay, well, whatever, or may not even notice it, which is good. And the fact that I'm noticing it and being like, I have to step in almost for my own good and not really for his sake. I agree. I think it is important on situations like that to step back and watch and give Liam, give Jake that chance to be their own advocate and if it's something minor and it's not something that's bothering them I think it could be more detrimental for an adult or an older sibling to step in because number one it could be negatively impacting their peer relationship and number two it's inhibiting their growth in learning how to deal with these situations that we all have to deal deal with but there's a point where it becomes necessary and I think it's just sort of a judgment call and it's just something you sort of have to learn but but there is that point where it's, it's like, okay, that's too far above and beyond at this point. Something has to be addressed. Um, so I think it's just sort of learning where that boundary is. Um, and I think that's going to be probably different depending on each individual situation. Like you said, Liam kind of seems like he has the ability to self-advocate. And with you knowing that, it kind of lets you know more where his boundary line is, where if it's somebody else who maybe doesn't have as much of an ability to advocate for themselves, maybe you might step in a little earlier, you know? Because I think that could, you know, in Liam could also cultivate that feeling of why are you speaking for me? It really wasn't because I know that when you were little, if I would step, I would do the same thing for Sophia. You know, she would it be like, no, I'm night. fine. We, yeah. were, we were just commenting on how she uh, was interacting with her peers last she's night. She's like, I'm fine. I do call. my own thing. Yeah. This is what I do. And yeah, I think, I think it definitely there, I think there are different situations and I think we can feel when the situations are that, that, that element needs to not be a part of this, you know, and that is okay. That is okay. Because Liam makes those decisions. Liam will just be like, no, I'm done. And I think for us, we have a picture of what we want it to be. So we don't want him to be the one to have to walk away. But I have to admit to myself if I don't like a situation, I walk away. And that's, that is like the key advice I give to Sophia is make a new choice. You can walk away, take yourself out of the situation. Whereas Liam innately feels it and does it. And for some reason we're fighting that. Like for some reason we're like, no, 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 stay in. You're going to be, you're going to play. And so I get, it's a lot. It's a big thing. And I think just being able to find our way through it is part of it. I feel like Liam has it figured out. Well, I mean, we're so protective of the people we love and I gosh, especially of our kids and our siblings. And um, I mean, that's there regardless. That's that's there for every relationship. But then when you have a situation like with Liam or Jake, you feel like you need that extra protection. Like you just have this feeling sometimes like you want to just shield them from everything negative. And, you know, that's unrealistic. There's no way you're going to be able to shield anybody from everything negative but like you said you have to know when it's okay to let them handle it and let them remove themselves from the situation and when it's a situation where it does warrant someone stepping in I mean I think that's any different than anybody um I mean I'm like that you know with all my kids my youngest I, I probably am a little more overprotective of him because of the things we've been through and you know I think it's the same thing with Jake I mean was I more overprotective over Jake growing up than Emily? Yes. And is that me sort of inserting my own bias onto Jake? You know, maybe, you know, maybe that's something that I should think about more like, why should I really be more protective of Jake than I am Emily? You know, if, if Emily would have been on a basketball team and there would have been some girl not passing her the ball I wouldn't have had that reaction that I had with Jake. So maybe that's kind of telling me something about like my own biases. Yeah, I think that feeling that we have is you, the things that we see and experience all the way up. So we see that society has misperceptions. We experience negative words being thrown our way. We go through having to fight for an education and equal rights placement in a classroom, inclusion. And we go through all of that. So then I think we carry that with us. And if someone comes from the outside and uses the wrong term, they're carrying all of the other experiences 
you know, they're, they're a reflection or they represent these other experiences that maybe were a little more heavy handed, maybe were more of had an agenda. And I think that that is the place where, where that breath really comes in handy to go, that isn't what's happening here. This is what's happening. Because as a mom, I see Sophia get so mad and I get it. Because inside, I have that same, you know, boo, my my teapot is going off. But I'm inside go, doing the same thing you're doing, saying, all right, how can I approach this to where I'm not going to make Liam feel bad? I'm not going to destroy the good that's there. But I'm still going to address the issue of this kid's being a turkey. <laughs> well, this is a funny story, although not a story about how something should have been handled correctly. but. My daughter, when she was younger, you know, her and Jake were close, very, very, very close. And um, she is probably more protective over Jake than than I am. Like they were like best buddies growing up. And we were at like Chuck E. Cheese. I mean, and Krista's tiny, like she's still to this day. I mean, she's fully grown and she's like five foot tall and like 110 pounds. I mean, she's tiny. She's always been tiny. And we were standing in line waiting for Jake and Krista to redeem their tickets. And so there were these older boys. I mean, Krista was probably, I'm not kidding, six, maybe. And there were these big older boys behind us, probably 12, 13 or so. And one of the boys said, look, there's a R word in front of us, just like as loud as can be. And I'm just like sitting there thinking like, what am I about to say? to these children looking around to see where their parents are. And before I can say anything, Chris turned around and said, what did you just say? And the boy said, well, I said he's an R word. And Chris said, well, you're really ugly, but do you see me, hear me saying that out loud? And I'm like, Krista, um, no, 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 we don't, we don't say that. And so we had to have a discussion at the ripe age of six about how we handle those types of situations. But so it's kind of like a funny story looking back, but at the time I was like, oh my gosh, no, <laughs> that's not how we handle this. So, I mean, that anger, like I said, I've, I've felt it and I've wanted to lash out, but like, I know that that's not the the right way to handle things, but yeah, that, that story was. Whew. Maybe she just meant that his word was ugly and that was being reflected somehow in his essence, <laughs> but do you feel conflicted going? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> go Krista does, does part of you want to just give her that same equality to to form and become herself and just like let her just stand in that you know it's it's all just making the right call and I get it's hard I think any parent will know it's like I don't know do we stop them from just for Sophia I get concerned because she gets really mad it's not that controlled of a reaction like that was a pointed like got Krista's point across like that I wish I could find something that like done like you just you just got schooled by a five-year-old but like so my concern is because Sophia gets so mad and I understand that anger but she does it's like you know raining her back like I described it as like like if I'm a bouncer at a bar on St. Patty's Day just trying to get somebody away it's that kind of you know she just gets I want her to find a way to yeah no it's uh it's definitely more of a I I was hearing that I was like I wish I could just like pick something and just like say something like that but I end up just like screaming at the person and um it's uh when when you were saying that Jake grew up with three moms it it was I definitely have more of that protectiveness of like I I would feel like what a, a protective mom would feel not a protective sister so um whenever someone says something to Liam where it just completely makes me really angry it's it's like a completely different kind of anger it's not like a regular anger like if someone was being mean to one of my friends which I would still get angry about it's like a very strong sense of anger that I'm working on controlling it's very hard it's it's very very hard I still get those flashes and just want to react I mean I had a very very awkward situation recently just within the last couple of years with a co-worker using the R word in a derogatory sense not towards a specific individual but 
in, in a general sense, but definitely using it as like a derogatory term. And I am ashamed to admit the first time I didn't say anything because I, I was so taken aback and I, it was, it's not a close friend. So I felt like, how do I address this without making it awkward? This is somebody I have to see on a regular basis. And, and so, you know, I'm thinking through all these things and I'm like, the moment it kind of passed by the time, you know, I kind of missed the opportunity. Then it happened a second time. And I had promised myself if it happened a second time that I was going to speak up. And I did. And I said, hey, you know, I know some people use that word casually and, and maybe don't quite mean it the way it's coming across. But my family and I, we really don't like that word. And, and these are the reasons why. And it ended up being a productive conversation. I felt like I didn't, I didn't feel like this person got defensive or anything, but you know, there are always going to be times when you don't know how to react and maybe you feel like you didn't react the right way. And you think about it later and wish you had done something different. There's no perfect advice that that's going to, going to make everything better. But I, I do feel like the more that you can allow yourself to calm down and, and not speak out of anger, the better, um, you know, the better the situation is going to be. I've had situations where we've gone out to eat and, you know, when we go to order, the waiter or waitress says, oh, well, what does he want? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Ask him. He's sitting right here. And I mean, that sparks a little anger in me too, because would, would there be anybody else in this restaurant that you would walk up to the table and see an adult sitting there and ask the person sitting with them what they're going to eat? Like, that's not going to happen with anybody else. So why would you do that to my brother? So, I mean, even like little things like that can make me angry, but I just think it's all about the way that we sort of react and, and set that example and, and try to make those educational conversations to the best of our ability. What exactly do you say when people use the R word? Most of the time, I'm pretty good. It depends on who it is. Um, so the most I come across it would be with my students. You know, they, they will say it and they will say it not sometimes it's saying it to a person, but, but it's, it's like a friend that they're saying it to and they're just using it out of context. Or um, sometimes they'll say it about something like not about a person, but about like an activity or something like that's the R word. And I just sort of correct them and say, Hey, I don't like that word. And I know you weren't saying it in a mean or hurtful way, but um, the word just has some really means some really negative things to certain people. And let me tell you about my brother and let me tell you why I don't like it. And usually those conversations go really great with my students. Usually my students are the ones that are like most receptive to listening to that. And like I said, after I've corrected one, they'll correct other students. They'll say, oh, don't use that word. That Remember Ms. Hyde told us that word's rude. And like, they're really great about it. Um, if it's like a stranger or just a casual acquaintance, usually I'll address it like I did with the coworker I was speaking about, where I'll kind of say, hey, that word can be really hurtful to people. Let's kind of talk about why and like a little bit about the history behind that word. And um, I've even had it be a family member. And in that case, I'm like, the same thing. I say, hey, we don't use that word. I don't, that's not a word I want the kids to hear. And that's not a word I want the kids saying. So, you know, if you could please not use that word, I'd really appreciate it. Um, and those interactions can be awkward for sure. Especially if you feel like you're correcting a family member. Um, that's that's kind of an awkward conversation to have, but it's so necessary because it's the only way that that's going to change. So I just, I always try to, to tackle it there. Like I said, I was actually ashamed of myself that one time recently when she said it the first time and I didn't address it. So you say that word can be hurtful. These are reasons why. Tell me the reasons you tell them because I get I mean, family can be hard. But at, at that point, I feel like you should be like, come on, dude. <laughs> Th this was a family member that was not it wasn't somebody that was directly related to Jake, if that makes sense. So they know who Jake is, but it's not a direct relationship. But that doesn't excuse it, but I'm just kind of giving the background there. But um, I mean, normally I, I, the things I will say is I will say, I know that that word previously was a medical word to describe a condition, but that word evolved into something ugly and it was used as a way to put people down and as a way to say people weren't good enough and weren't capable. And so it's a hurtful word. So just like there's other slang words that we don't use and that we know shouldn't be in our vocabulary, this should be one of those words that's in that same category. Um, so that's just kind of how I usually explain it to people. 
I was just wanted to hear how you break it down because, because the truth is, is when it gets used, I think we're all just throwing it back because it is in that category of words that you don't use. And people have lost their jobs for using that word in public. It's but- strange to me how people don't understand how the, the, that word and why, you know, I will have, I have had people debate with me about it before and say, well, that's a medical term. And I say, look, there are a lot of words that started out as a legitimate word and evolved into something ugly. Words, they evolve through time and the, their, their connotation and their meaning changes over time. And this is a word that became a negative and became a way to put people down. And, and you know, there's, there's words out there that people use as slurs to refer to people of different races. There's words out there that people use to refer to people of different sexualities. You, most people are totally accepting that those words aren't okay. But then when you say that, hey, this word, it's sort of in that same realm, they, they're like, they don't get it. But a lot of people do. A lot of people, when you break it down that way, they will say, okay, I've, I've never really thought about it like that before. But there's still some that will say like, oh, that's not the same. But it is the same. You're you're taking a term that you're using to alienate, to demean a certain group of people and using it in, in a joking, joking manner. And, and that's not okay. I'm amazed that people will defend that. But also, if someone were to tell me, but that's a medical term, my first question is, are you a doctor? And if you're not a doctor, then again, I tell you, that word is inappropriate. Don't use it. You know, like, I, I, I am amazed when people will defend. <laughs> I had somebody say to me, oh, well, there's medical documents from the past that you can look it up and you can find it in certain textbooks and in certain research. And so my counterpoint to that was that there are racially insensitive terms that we recognize and we know that are not okay to say that if you go back to documents from the 1800s and even early 1900s, you can find political legal documents that have these terms in them. That doesn't make it okay for you to say it because the connotation over time has become a negative one used to demean and dehumanize a group of people. So, you know, it's the same thing. Um, you know, words can change their meaning over time. And as those meanings change, we should be willing to change with them. There is a instance at school, I think I was probably in like the sixth grade. And I heard a classmate use that word behind me. And I, I said, that's, that's a, an inappropriate word. And we, we don't use that and that's not kind. And he was like, well, it's it's okay because my brother or sister is the R word and has a disability. And I'm like, well, then you really shouldn't use it. Like if you have someone that's related to you that has a disability and you're using that word, it didn't make sense to me. And I, I got very angry that I, I tried different ways of like, okay, well, yeah, but like that still doesn't mean that you can use it because you're actually demeaning your brother or your sister by using that word. And I think no no matter what your circumstances, it you, you shouldn't use that word. It doesn't matter if you have a disability or if you don't. It's just not an acceptable word and he wouldn't get it. Like he would he kept giving me these counter arguments and I was like, I don't, I didn't know how to respond to that. And I remember coming home and telling my parents and they're like, sometimes you just can't, you can't really change someone's mindset. And I was like, I was very confused by that. You know, a 10 year old, (laughs) 10 year old me was very confused by, well, it's, it's wrong. And why won't you just like not use it? So, yeah. I've had that exact same argument be used several times um, in conversations I've had. I've had people say, oh, well, I have a cousin that has this, or I have a brother or sister that has this. So you, well, I don't understand why you're getting all offended. Like if I'm not offended by it, then you shouldn't be offended by it. But you don't get to tell other people how your words affect them. So maybe it doesn't affect you and maybe it doesn't affect your cousin or your brother or your sister. That's fine, but that's not universally true for everybody else. So you have to think about your words and how they impact others and not just yourself. And I I think part of their um, defense of that might be just them being called out. And, you know, some people just want to argue that they don't want to listen to a different opinion or be open to that. And so they just automatically go into a defensive position and they're just trying to come up with anything they can say to justify their action. And when somebody's protesting about it that much, 
that they probably know deep down that it wasn't right. You know, maybe after you had that conversation, even though he didn't act like he thought about it, maybe that's something that that person thought about later and, you know, reflected on. So that's, that's the hope that we can have. I mean, I think you handled it the right way. Well, look at how having Jake and Liam in our lives, for one, making us sensitive to this particular verbiage, right? But how it's poured over into society and the way we look at society. Now we're more sensitive to, you're talking about racial groups, sex, people. We're sensitive about how we talk about people and our inclusion of people and humanity in one. Liam most definitely has done that for me in my life and I know in our family. He's caused me to have empathy. He's caused me to believe in people. He's caused me to not count people out. And he's also caused me to mind what I say and be accountable for myself. It's very easy for people to say things and just go, well, that's just how I was brought up and that's the words I use. I, I used that word as a kid. I worked really hard on, on prior to Liam of not using that word. And then with Liam, I, I definitely don't even have it in my mind. I couldn't accidentally say that word. But people do sometimes accidentally say that word too, and they need to learn a new way. If you hear that, feel that coming, I've, I've told people, I go, you feel that word coming, use another word like uh, ridiculous. ridiculous. I say ridiculous. If you can just burn my ridiculous in your mind, it's the first step of getting rid of that word just accidentally coming out. But it's not even there for me anymore because I'm thoughtful of my actions and my words about others, not just Liam and right. this community others and that's what Liam's taught me and he also it's also made you and I'll tell you like the effect has I, I noticed this in my life is just from all the just advocating and the changes that it makes that I really like I really like the changes that it's made in me as far as just my quality of life my quality of life has been so enhanced by the presence of Liam and also once you begin advocating for what is right which is what we've been doing, there's no other place in your life where you won't advocate. Like you will advocate in every other area. You will stand up if someone doesn't have a voice. You you see it. It's like I have this like, like this light shined on just helping, you know, just if I hear someone, uh, just that little push, that little encouragement, that guidance, that you know, helping someone who doesn't feel like they have a voice, righting a wrong, whatever it is. And it's not like this big grand gesture. Actually, how we function in, in society, it's not big grand gestures. They're very, you know, subtle, just parts of who we become. And I think that is one of the greatest gifts that having Liam has really given me. And if you want to talk about, want to go all the way to the beginning at the diagnosis, when those doctors talk about quality of life, not only are they wrong about the quality of life about the child, but they're limiting the parents and the siblings and society's quality of life because they were wrong about his quality of life. And they definitely didn't give me one iota of a glimpse into how his life would enhance the quality of my life and actually bring it to just such a different level. You had me like tearing up describing Liam and his impact on your life. I mean, I'm over here choking back tears because I just relate so much to that feeling. And Jake, I mean, Jake is just a gift. I mean, he, he just is there's nothing we would change about Jake. You know, if, if we could rewrite the entire story the way we wanted to, we would want Jake to be exactly who he is, extra chromosome and all. Jake taught us how to love. I feel like you have a ceiling on the amount of love that you can can feel until knowing Jake. And it's like he just busted that ceiling open. Jake knows how to love people. Forgiveness is second nature to Jake. You know, someone could say something hurtful to Jake today and that person can apologize to him and everything's fine. That person said it would be his best friend again tomorrow. Jake doesn't see differences in people. He doesn't see color. He doesn't see sexuality. He doesn't see religion. He doesn't see, he doesn't care about any of that. Jake just loves people. He loves people so purely. And I, I mean, I just can't say enough how, like you guys said, he improved our quality of like that, that's a perfect way to say it. You know, not only were they wrong about Jake's quality of life, but 
they were wrong about the quality of life of everybody around him. You know, I hate how sometimes people with Down syndrome get stereotyped into this box. Oh, they're always happy and they're always bubbly and they're always this. Because no, Jake's not always happy. He's not always bubbly. Sometimes he's like a prickly cactus. And I'm like, go to your room. Like, what is wrong with you? But his joy is always there, you know, and the way he treats people. Like I said, love and empathy, it's just something that's in his very being. And I've learned so much from him through that. Like you said, it it just makes you so much more hyper aware to other people and to their struggles. And I feel like being around Jake and being Jake's sister makes me more like Jake. And that that's a good thing. You know, everybody should be a little more like Jake and Liam. I used to think that, or whenever I would tell someone that my brother made me a better person they would always say oh because he has down syndrome and it's it's really not because he has down syndrome it's just like how he treats everyone around him and how he treats me and if anyone else treated everyone the same way and was that kind and forgiving I would say that person made my life better but it's it's not just because of the down syndrome which I I feel is really important I love that I agree Thank you for this conversation, Amy. Yes, thank you. It was so great to talk to you. It was really important for Sophia, I think, to hear someone who's been through the challenges and also that you guys can share the gifts of this journey. I appreciate it. I love meeting you and good luck in your freshman year. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye, guys. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod, and you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod. Or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. From the top.